Welcome to the Stanley Street Social Podcast presented by MAP. My name is Alice Clemens and joining me on the show today is Campbell Flakemore and Tom Hamilton, the host of The Continental Breakfast. But in a different role today, Tom, as you might not know, was a very handy cyclist back in his day, as was Campbell, was a world champion. And, and today we're going to talk about how they found their transition. Uh, they had two di- very different approaches to their exit on the sport, and they're going to delve into the depths of why, how they felt, their change of identity in the way they went about it, and what they learned from the experience. Uh, Tom does talk very passionately about this phase of his life. There is some coarse language throughout, but also this is the last episode of season two. We again have had map on board from the get-go they've been huge the other people that have helped help the podcast throughout the year wouldn't be possible so we put a huge thank you out to them uh and make sure you go check them out over summer too because they've got their adelaide store at the tour down under again the Sufferfest, they are supporters through the Tour de France and then they gave Campbell the facility through uh, their Wahoo Kicker and their online training software to uh, do, do the 10-week program and get back in condition and he, just, he did get he did get back in good nick. He's uh, looking a million dollars and last but not least, uh, Harper. They've been uh, sponsoring the Competential Breakfast for the last couple of months. Um, getting behind Tom Hamilton is brings you his thoughts on the continental scene of cycling. And just an FYI too, that show will be back next year. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Let us know what you think. It's a pretty raw and honest conversation. And uh, I think there's a few good takeouts from it. Um, But I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. And thanks again for tuning in all year. We really appreciate everyone that's continually listened supported us through different ways, supported us through buying a t-shirt, through sharing this uh, podcast with other people. And uh, we look forward to bringing you season three in 2020. Welcome to the Stanley Street Social Podcast presented by MAP. This is the season finale, season two under wraps. Here with Campbell Flakemore. I'm here with Tom Hamilton, presented by Harper, Tom Hamilton. Boys, boys, boys. (laughs) From the get-go. Yes. Traditionally featured in the back end of the episode for his uh, his famous segment, The nah, Continental look, Breakfast. I think the uh, coach has seen my potential finally and dragged me up in the forward line. So might just, you know, sneak a few sneak a few late ones in given this time of year. You know, the points matter at the uh, pointy end of the season, I guess. So try and get a few cheap ones for the boys. And uh, Campbell, the celebrations just continue throughout. This is the season finale. You've picked yourself up a job in the last two weeks. It's all happening. <laughs> it's all happening, Alex. It's a busy time of year on all fronts. Um, and it was actually nice this evening that uh, you guys were operating to my schedule and Tom was obviously a little bit anxious. Flustered. Yeah, people not working to his schedule. He was actually left sitting around for the first time in his life. So I hope you're, a, you're feeling it right, Tom, about all that. A little bit on edge, mate. One knuckle fever over this side of the room. On uh, today's podcast, we've got a bucket load of listener questions. So thank you very much for tuning in. Tuning in. Writing in. Coming. Writing com- in. Yeah. Yeah. 
commenting. It's all social. A few too many of the uh, import reds, are we? It's it's all social. Uh, But first of all, we're we're just going to touch on, now you've got a job, Campbell. Tommy, you've got a job. You got a job first out of everybody. You kind of came crashing back into the world. Um, Transition complete? I wouldn't go that far, Alex. I think you want to. I think you want to probably hold down a position for grain re- of, a grain of salt, if you will. I'd give it. I'd, I'd give it twelve months before I reckon you proper properly can cement yourself into the the workforce. Would and when you? and when I'm talking about transition, I'm talking about from within the depths of the cycling bubble, like as far in as you can possibly be. That is your life to reality the world where we are now well i guess it is i think obviously for campbell there's come from um obviously the the upper echelons of competitive cycling and then has now uh i guess gone from that point come back find your feet go do what you want to do for a few years and then now has landed the uh landed the gig if you will well tom you're uh probably most famously known for being lucas hamilton's older brother but well, you he's, actually he's had my young, he's older my, brother as yeah. well. He's my younger. He, you also had quite a, a, a handy little career yourself. Well, I guess it wasn't um, illustrious by any means. I think obviously as a junior, did a lot more than I did, I guess, um, as a 20-year-old or a 21-year-old, which I think for me, um, it was never going to be the case. Like, I think... like. Where, when did you know it wasn't going to be the case from this? Because you were a big Alex, under 19. just before we get through that, can you go through your Palmares as an under 15, under 17, under 19? Because I think there's some big results. 19s oh, yeah. did nothing. Like a, a No, no, but there was a reason for that. Well, okay, so the, the, the glory days, <laughs> if you will, <laughs> as a ripe 16-year-old. But I had a good year, obviously, in under 17s, and then with the... Like us Victorian boys, obviously had a bit of a um, squad happening, and we cleaned up the broke, VIS boys. We we broke a national record in the team pursuit. Then later that year, oh, what at nationals won the time trial, got second in the road race to Caleb, then won the crit. So it was Double. wasn't a bad little um, better than Lord Dale Parker actually, because he he got third in one of the races. So or did he? Yeah. So, but. And then after that, next year was bottom age 19s. Took the year off to finish year 12 because I was at boarding school. And I think for me, bike riding was always, geez, that'd be good to do as opposed to, like, because one crash, you're, it ends it all. You head, and it did. smash your head, break your leg, whatever it did. So in the end, like four years later, unbeknownst to me, that would be the case. But um, the the thing for me was like, if, if I was getting on the Titanic, for example, right, I'd book myself... Uh, a life raft off. If we got to New York, <laughs> if we got to New York, sensational. But if we sunk in the middle of the fucking Atlantic, I'm not freezing in the water with the rest of those. So um, in that, I'd sort of like, as a obviously a very forward thinking 16 year old, needed something to fall back on, I guess. But and a 99 ATAR is probably a good thing to fall back so, on. So, it definitely so, wasn't a 99 ATAR. 97. Hold. hold. <laughs> <laughs> Hold Despite on how I sound, <laughs> hold on a minute. At a as a sixteen year old, you had this mentality. Well, because you have to. Because for me, yeah, like no, I've no. been out of home since I was what? Fi- I just turned fifteen. Went away to boarding school because it's like you know what? I'm not going to 
flapping the fucking wind. I'm going to go and actually go do something. And then had a really good year bike riding, then sort of took a back seat while I finished year 12. Had a lot of catching up to do after that. Like spent that second year under 19s just dragging a carcass around all these national selection races, like neither in it nor out of it, but sort of near or thereabouts. And then uh year after that, flapped around in the NRS for a bit. Then it was the year after that that the year Campbell won his champion Dumas of uh well, the TT World Champs, however he says it in French. And then um, for me, it was, it was I guess, a turning point because I had like a bit of a, a training incident, like a bend it, sort of took the skin off my back and then got really sick after that and then flew over to Europe missing half my skin, which a lot of people do. Like it's no excuse, but for me, it was just almost like a, um, like, I don't know. We you all struggle of, over there, but you were a fish out of water. Oh, I didn't really enjoy it. Living out of a <laughs> suitcase. Yeah, you just no, did. But I think what Tom really just brushed over there was the fact that he did turn it around. He was a carcass flapping around, but geez, he got back to the top. And as you talked about, that one crash, you had that one crash doing a sprint. Oh, I was doing efforts in Canberra or something Canberra. stupid. But um, the... The thing for me was always, like, once I got there, it was fine. But the thing is, like, for me, I've always been the kind of person to, like, what, what what's that saying, Campbell? The devil makes work for idle hands. Yeah. And with bike riding, there's a lot of idle, idle time. So for me, I want to get up, get my training done, and then it was the eight hours in the day that I had left to kill that drove me fucking mad, <laughs> like, up the wall. And we're talking in Italy. Anyway, so I can hang out with you blokes, which was grouse. Talk, I talk guess. to us about your days there. Well, pretty straightforward, I guess, as anyone anyone else is. You go do your training, you try and eat the right stuff, you want to do all the all the good things. But for me, it was always a case of what can I do to distract myself from the time where you're not training or you're not riding or you're not cooking, which is a lot of a lot your of day. So I'd go down and play basketball for 10 hours a day. Like I could, I could shoot a 70-foot jump shot 10 times in a row. Like it was just anything I could do to just do something. Um, and then I think when I got to the end of the season, I was just sick of it. Didn't mind training, sick of racing, but it was um, it was just not not for me. And then that's when I came back and I was like, right, I'm trying to get on with the rest of my life. Alex. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> but from... I guess where you were absolutely, he was absolutely flying in Canberra that year. Like well, Canberra was, Nationals, um, Herald Sun Tour, yeah. KOM jersey, yeah. best calves in the peloton, yeah. possibly. And then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A, a Couldn't buy a set of cows, that bloke. Um, throughout that season, though, you got, you got to Italy. You had a, a pretty good environment. Oh, it's as good as it's literally. When, you when, could not get a more. You hear of these pros from like 10, 15 years, even five years ago. Even you boys, when you're starting Castrona, like living with six other people and all this sort of business. Like, I've never, it was, at no point did I have any genuine hardship, right? I never had to go and put myself in a position where I was just so uncomfortable, couldn't communicate with anyone, do any of that. But for me, that was never going to be an issue because that I can dude i don't worry about that it's the sitting around doing nothing for eight nine hours a day 
that just killed me because it was just, for me, it was a, just a massive waste of time. And I could never settle down and just watch Netflix for eight hours. I just, I'm not that kind of person. I'm surprised that you didn't lock in and speak fluent Italian by the end of the six months. That was, that was a surprise. I thought you would be the sort of bloke that would be able to lock in and, and spend your time learning well, this language. Is, this is the thing, Campbell. Mum speaks four languages, but Dad and I barely speak English. Like, <laughs> it's just one of those things that was never going to come to me easily. And you're right, I probably should have spent more time, but being with six other Australians, what are you going to revert back to? Yeah. It's just never going to be um, the case, I guess. So I think, you know, it was definitely something I do not regret for a second because that, I think I owed it to my 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old self who would go out riding in the middle of winter in Ballarat, had an hour and a half of daylight when you finish school and you just go and fit four hours of training into an hour and 45 minutes and then by yourself, no one's there to help. Like, you eat whatever they give you at boarding school, you drink some festy as water. I don't know what was in the water there. I bet you've been to country, Victoria. There's some rough water out there. For how much it rains, like, they must just take straight, I don't know, it's just the most clay, dirt-ridden reservoir in all of Australia. But um, that, I think, for me, was something I had to do. And then, obviously... Once I did, I was like, you know what, I don't need to do that again. I'm I'm happy with where I got, happy with what I did. And then obviously Lucas has carried the baton on since slightly further. Did you touch <laughs> your bike after you pulled the pin in Italy? Did not, you ever like train or race ever again? Not really, but I didn't need to. Like I didn't I just didn't feel like riding my bike, to be honest. Like I felt like doing other stuff. Like and it wasn't even like go out and get carried away and get like pissed every night. It was the furthest thing from the truth. Like, I didn't do that for ages. Until about a couple of years ago. Until <laughs> <laughs> till I started. Well, till I started. And then you made up for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, till I started, like, well, working and then doing things like that till I guess I could afford to in the first place. How did you find your first encounter, your first expedition to Europe? As a, a big prodigy, a big time trial is coming out of the... Big lungs. Oh. Big lungs, big head, oh. big body coming out of the south of Hobart. A lot of potential. How did you manage that? I got a quite a nice kind of taste of it. In 2012, I had a nice two-month block in Europe. So I didn't get thrown into the deep end. I went in like on a kind of like a guest guest writer for the AIS. Drew a, a name months. tag all for those two months. Yeah, or wore a name tag, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> in, into Alia. But no, so I got I got put in nicely. Got a little sniff of it. Didn't have enough time to sort of um, little, get uh, homesick, et cetera. What do you call it? A little paritivo, a little, uh, yeah. little taste before you have the Yeah, beer. if you will. Yeah. Um, so that was good. And then when I went over in 2013 as a full-time um person on the team it was it was a little bit easier knew what to expect kind of knew the staff knew the road so it was kind of a an easier entry for me it wasn't quite um as deep end as maybe you for example Alex who smashed your face into a pole in your first Italian race (laughs) (laughs) karma yes I did (laughs) so you but that 2013 year you head into that confident were you thinking, I'm going to be a pro? Were you thinking, this is all how it's meant to go? This is fantastic. I'm just going to crush it. 
I don't know. It was always always a goal, and then I guess with the AIS program, you can see people that have been before you that have then become pro- become pro. So you can kind of see the pathway. So it was something that I wanted to do, but it probably wasn't till I started winning a few TTs. Where I'm like, maybe oh, maybe I could on. go pro. Hello, you no, know, these are batting down the hatch. <laughs> on, who is this? Who is this? Why some, did he take his name tag off? Been some guy? euros. <laughs> Been some Euros, beaten Damo, who was, I think he was on the podium the year before. So probably, yeah, halfway through 2013, I thought I could probably make a fist of it and <laughs> and try and get a, a pro tour contract. Did you ever get to a point where you're like, oh, geez, this could actually, um, you know, this could actually happen here? I might yeah. make, uh, the, the Titanic might make it to New York. Yeah, dead set. <laughs> but that was like, while it was getting built. Like, yeah, this ship cannot sink. <laughs> like when I was like 16, 17, like on top of the world. Yes. I think the best thing God ever put breath into. But at the end of the day, you got to remember, like you're a kid. And I think, yeah, like cycling career, not so much that I had, but it's definitely like, that's growing up. That's your identity. I think it's it's when people you s- people these days oh, Tom still still run your bikes. You still run bikes? Like, no, like <laughs> unfortunately not. But that is, and I think well, I think you'd both agree with me there is that that's what you you're unfortunately known as like well, fortunately, unfortunately, like that's who you are. You're always the biker. It's not like there's forty blokes lining up every week at school who ride push bikes for a, I guess a sport. If you're a footballer, maybe, but I don't know. It's, it's one of those things that that's probably. Almost the hardest bit about it is losing a sense of identity. What uh, value do you put on your grade 12 year? For a lot of young prodigies, a lot of young superstars, they're coming out of the under-16s like you were, and then all of a sudden school comes along and it starts to get a bit important. You opted for the year of focusing on school. And your cycling took a bit of a drop from that. But a lot of the time, that's, it's a big thing to contemplate at that point in your life. When well, you're 17, you think you can crush the world. Like, no matter what, I'm going to be a pro. Some level head, level head, uh, a level head on those shoulders, Tom. Well, I guess for me, I'm probably slightly different to a lot of people because like, I wasn't thinking about year 12. I was thinking about me being 25, 30. I was like, what, am I, what I'm doing now is what sets me up for the rest of my life. So that wasn't not not necessarily that year twelve is a be or end all. Because you have a look at like Lucas, for example, right? He went overseas and raced for four weeks right through the guts of year twelve and stood really, really well at school. Right? He's just a naturally clever person. So he's not gonna have an issue. Which you wouldn't know that about him, but he don't, actually don't tell him that. No, no. He doesn't need to get a bigger head. But for me, I placed probably more importance than him. Like I got I remember I got a call from Dave Sanders and I was playing table tennis. It was term four. He's like, You still riding a bike? And I'm like, like I am, but I'm also like smelling the roses at this point because I've just spent like the last four or five years throwing myself through winter here in Ballarat or whatever. I'm just going like, you know what, it's my last term at school. I'm with my mates. I've been living with these blokes. I want to actually sort of like enjoy myself at this point, do well at school, and then next year I'm all yours. So that was sort of my attitude. I still, I was lucky that year 12, I was 17, so still had another year in the 19s before I had to worry about making national teams. It's a big luxury, isn't it? It is. And I was fortunate for that just purely and simply because I was born that year and then went to school when I was like five instead of six. But in saying that, like, 
I did probably put a lot more emphasis on it than a lot of other bike riders would. But that was only because, like, it doesn't take much before you can't ride a bike, I guess. Mm. Whether, like, mentally or physically. Mm. Campbell, yes, no? What were you doing in grade 12? I... What was I doing? I wasn't taking cycling super seriously. You and I, we were in the TIS. NTID. NTID. So I reckon I was maybe training maybe training on the bike three times a week, a couple of evening rides and maybe maybe one long ride on the weekend. But it wasn't it wasn't training as such. I didn't call it training. Were, I was, you, still, were you still I was kicking up, the soccer ball yeah, around? I played a lot of soccer in year 12 yeah. as well. So I'm probably not the, the person to talk to about backing things off in terms of cycling, training throughout year 12 and prioritizing that because for me it was never cycling was never really a full-time thing for me in year 12 so there's almost like two takes to it isn't you've got those that come through from when they're 13 all the way through to when they're 33 or those that start when they're 18 19 just because they get on the bike and they've got like lungs like a racehorse and in endeavor like a like a paddle steamer you know what i mean like there's no right or wrong way. No, but there's not. I think if I could have it one way or the other, I'd probably like to go the latter. I just think training yeah, from 100%. such a young age, it's a, it's a ticking time bomb a lot of the time before it yep. before it goes off. And when it does go off, it's about the time where you want to start to be getting results, i.e. under-19s, under-23s. That's it. Yeah, 100%. You, if you're and I'm not advocating for one or the other, but for me, I thought that was... That probably worked best to start properly at eighteen or nineteen. So that that would be what you would advise to a, a young pup. I guess yes. What would you What would you say? Well, you did I mean, it as if much. you did it as well, Alex. Let's not forget no, this. No, no, we're at but what I don't want to say we is both start at the same time, and we'll both. You're a year older because you are naturally older than me. Yes, every year you are a touch older. Correct. But I think we both were both very raw. There was some few big hitters around at the same time that had been, they'd been doing the sport since they were 12. Their grandfathers and their grandfathers and their grandfathers all did cycling. And there was a steep learning curve, but like it's, it's not, it's not too big of a mountain to climb. It's not. And it's not like tennis or soccer where if you're not hitting your straps at 16 or 17, you're not going to make it. Yeah, You're not getting shipped off to Florida for some tennis academy at 12. So that's the good thing about cycling is you do have, time up your sleeve you just look at guys like Chris Harper for example he's 25 and he's getting his first world tour contract just now so there is plenty of time if, if you 100%. want to take it if, if you really want to do it there's no reason why you can't you just got to have the ability at the end of the day that's the thing I think ability is is key if you don't have the ability you're just yeah. going to be chipping away and it's going to be one more year one more year and it's hard yeah. for people to admit that maybe I don't have it maybe I'm not going to be able to crack it yeah. and then you're 30 and Doing the same thing. Where to go? <laughs> but yeah. but it's but it's that it's that you know that traditional coach is saying is like oh it doesn't matter how how talented you are it's about how hard you work. I disagree. <laughs> I strongly. Oh, disagree. I think there is a lot. I wouldn't disagree completely because like you could have someone who's got the most raw natural talent in the world, but then gets to eighteen, nineteen, and then prefers driving 100%. cars instead. But you, you need you need both. You have to have some sort of natural talent. Oh, you, yeah, you yeah. got you got to have two legs. It's like, for example, to... I'm not going to be a world class tennis player in five years' time. I just, uh, I'm simply just, you know, I don't have the. You've told me behind the scenes, but that's all right. Whatever, Campbell, that's okay. But 
You know what I'm saying? You've already, you've already touched on Tom when you kind of started to know, like, oh, Jesus isn't probably for me. Do you think it took going to Europe, though? If you didn't go, would it still be kind of pondering? Yeah, I had to go over there, I think, to experience it just to see, like, what, because it's, it's a very romantic thing, Alex, going and living overseas and doing a sport, like, whether it's soccer or cricket or. Especially for Australians. Yeah, well, because everywhere it's is just so going to be so away. much it's more. So like, it's going to be so different. Oh, yeah. Italy, like, look at it over there. Yeah, and I think, like, you have a look at, like, your other guys, I guess our generation, you look at, um, like, your Luke Parkers, who got literally thrown right into the mixer. Like, no one sort of really speaks English. You've got Armenian teammates and shit like that. Like, it's There just, are some benefits of that, though. Yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> you do get the raw, um, I guess, version of... European cycling or you get thrown in a Belgian share house. Like there's lots of different ways of going about it and it's, it's whatever, I guess, floats your boat at the end of the day. But for me, I needed that opportunity to see how I would go. And for me, I just sat in idle born, like boredness. It was it was crippling because I really wanted to go and get everything done, do everything by the book. That was fine. But I wanted to enjoy myself as well, which I couldn't when I'm sitting there just going like, oh, let's go do this. But it's like, oh, it's too hard, basket. We've got to rest up, you know, got some big races coming up. And that for me is just, like, it's insanity. Like, I remember we were one day, where were we? Doing some race in, this is in under-19s, doing some race in the middle of Italy. And I'm like, with the other under-19 boys, I'm like, oh, let's go have a look at this. And there's like five of us there. I think it was... um there's like one other person came for a walk around this town. The town's been there for like two and a half thousand years. And like, oh no, let's let's watch Freaky Friday. It's <laughs> on TV. I'm going like, you are absolutely kidding me. Like there's something just, I didn't have that attitude. I probably should have been sitting up in my bed resting for the day two of the Trophio <laughs> fucking whatever, right? But instead I'm like, there's a church there that's been literally there for 2,000 years. And we're sitting here watching Freaky Fucking Friday. <laughs> and for me, that just killed me. Like, there's just something innately wrong with doing that. And I think it's that side of the sport I just resisted so much. Like, I don't need to go out and get carried away every, like, weekend before a race. Nothing like that. You've got to switch on. understand that. But just going for a walk, take bring your water with you. Bring your... <laughs> Fucking your, your, your socks, your socks, and your skins. Yeah, bring your compress, bring whatever compression you want. I don't mind. The church has been there. Let's just go have a look. And for me, it was just, it was just, it was pure madness. And I've gone, you know what? I'll give it the benefit of the doubt. Professionals got to be professional. Blah blah blah. I'm like, no dramas. But it was just what that was like. One thing that only looking back on it now, really, you go, what? is the mindset of these people. It, it appears like to be 17. seared in your memory, that specific example. Yeah, 100%. Because, like, why... Like, it's a half an hour walk. I don't know. Anyway. That's the culture. It is. It was cu- the culture. It, but, how did you find that culture? I, I hated it as well, Alex. And I think um, in that article I wrote a couple of years ago, I talked about it, that having pancakes before yeah, pancakes Lavenir. Before couldn't believe it. Like, oh, come on. Like... Have yogurt at breakfast and there's 70 French blokes looking at you like you're psychotic. We'll have a few little panties for yeah. the, the the prologue. But I think you and Alex Edmo and Rob Power really changed that culture a little bit in that year that you had in Varese. You guys went 
into the city pretty much every night for vino and cheese, and then Roberto came out and crushed Aosta. Is that correct? I think like it can yeah, be done. Yeah, that is definitely correct, and it's also because it's funny how when we first went there in 2013, it's so much about your elders, yeah, the elder statesmen, the access that you have, the people that lead the way, yeah, and the institutions that are around you. Like at the time, it was the AIS. They're so bang, 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 like process, process, process. This is how it's meant to be. This is the best way. But I think David Spindler called before, your podcast with him summed it up perfectly. It's that balance between finding a bit of time to go, to meet those, go look at the church, go without going wild. Yeah, we're not talking about tying one on every no. night. Hey, no. we, we don't have to go burn the church to the ground, <laughs> by no means. We don't have to go drink the holy water. Let's but just go look at the thing. I clearly remember one of the the best races I've ever had was after I was at a a mentally challenging state with a sport. It was like, oh, geez, what am I doing here? Is that when you were told you were too fat to yeah, go to altitude? Me and, uh, <laughs> me and Rob were too fat to go to altitude. But we had... A month by ourselves, just following a program, nothing too, nothing too technical. It wasn't some whiz-bang rocket science schedule that we're on. We were just doing, you know, a little bit of five-fives here and there, a little bit of SE, a little bit of intensity. But the other part of it is we'd go to that, we'd have fun doing it. We'd come back, we'd go into the city, we'd go do things with it. And you came out of it. We came out of that month absolutely hooking. Flying. Mentally, it was just a million dollars. Like, yep. we couldn't get enough of it. Yep. We weren't, as you said, we weren't tying one on every night. But we weren't, if you if you read the AIS book, it was not the <laughs> AIS book. You're smelling the roses, Alvin. You know, I think that's what it comes yeah. down to. Like, and I was the furthest thing from a professional athlete. Like, che- cheese and didn't even get a sniff, right? are not, are not yeah. the prescribed afternoon Protocol. Tea. It's not no. protocol. Which I think it's just because everyone... It's almost like you're walking on eggshells all the fucking time. Is this going to help me in the long run? Is this going to help me? And then I think you sort of neglect to think what's actually going to help you get there in the long run. Does that make sense? Because yeah. you're so worried about how does this look? How does What light does this put me in? Like what pe- what's people's perception going to be? Like if I have pancakes before Lavinia, am I going to be known as a guy who eat, eats pancakes before <laughs> Lavinia? And like, you know, it's just kind of like, yeah, but... That shouldn't be a weird thing. It just is because there's just these, I, I guess, rich tradition in that sport where, like, if you're not lean, you're not fit, you're not fit, you're not going to win a race. But you have a look at, like, I remember hearing when, like, Robbie Power had that, like, it would put a bloke, like, off work for 10 days, had that sickness <laughs> at Olympias, Olympias to whatever, it's like pissing down rain, it's coming in, like, horizontal, and he just go and moves off the front. And it's just like... He only did that because he was actually like really enjoying himself. He was in a good place, like all that sort of business. It's not because he was fit. A doctor would have like taken him off like work for two weeks, <laughs> but he just was enjoying himself. So he was like, I don't know. It's a it's a funny funny balance. It's a fine line though. I think it is. It is. It is a fine line. And I don't want to be sitting here telling people that being a larrikin is the way to become a professional because it's simply not. It you've is. Got, you can't. You've got to be a professional. You've got to. You've got to be. And you've got to do the work. You've got to do the work. You've got to be good a lot of the time, but it's not twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. It's don't be afraid to head out and have a lager or 
have those pancakes, you know. Have the pan- you whatever sp- makes you feel Whatever good. you say. You always hey, say it. Hey, smell the roses a little bit. You smell the roses. You talk about food and wine and whatever, but it's more just like you're just putting yourself in another world. You're not sitting on your compression tights, sitting yeah. on the couch, thinking about training. You just... On cycling you news. Go, you go talk, you, if, if you were that person, though, if you were that person loves it, like, remember, like Jack Haig, for that's example. The that's the thing. That's exactly. The that's that works for him it works. to a T. 100%. And that, that is what he does, and that's what he needs to do to be the best of what he does. And there is a lot of guys that are doing that, and they are professionals right now, not sitting on the couch in uh, Hawthorne. Exactly, but that's what they... That's, they were, they're more than happy to, to pull those... Sacrifices to yeah. sacrifice, which I find really funny because I remember like Jack was telling me, like, he used to, like, you were talking about year 12 before, he used to just like bunk days off school, drive down to the coast, and just go surfing all day. Yeah, which is a far cry from what I envisaged Jack when I was living with him, and then also like seeing him now, which, like, it's, it's just one of those things. It's just, it's, it's funny how you'll have someone that will do something like that, but at the same time, I've never seen a more regimented. Like person in all my life, in any facet of life, yeah. not just sport. Is that this will make me better? I am going to do this. Care or want not for anything else. And I think it's important to know that these things are probably what we're talking about. You can probably still do well in nineteens, twenty threes, but if you want to be winning the Tour de France, I don't think guys like Grant Thomas are having the occasional night on the piss in the in the in the first well, in the last couple of months leading up to the tour. Bradley Wiggins after he won the tour punching darts oh, in some cafe. After the, after the tour it's yeah, by no means still lined leather. up the next year though. Or you didn't, but like you know what I mean? Smelling the roses or inhaling them. <laughs> <laughs> but it's 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 still celebration, it's still getting to the top. You know, you you look back yeah. on what you've done. It's not by you're not living and breathing this thing which i think is too instilled in that younger generation when you're growing up you think oh geez i gotta you get scared just gotta, dead set. Yeah, you just get scared gotta do this it. this this i gotta be this skinny i gotta be doing this amount of training not really you know what you need to do you just need to win the race you need to win train for it then you just go and win it like that's as, as simple as it gets it's not about like what i did four months ago is going to come and affect me now it's not going to. If you can put it out of your head and just accept that you had a good time, move on, you'll be fine. Yeah. It's you, not going to. Were you having a good time leading up to the World Championships in 2015, Pomforata? I can't. Honestly, I can't remember. There was a w- one week in between Chrono, Champagne, and the Worlds where it was just myself, James Victor, Paolo, who you did a podcast with recently, and Matty Biz. That was like a week-long, genuine regime. Um, but in the lead-up to that's that, the, the month... That's before, the pointy end, though. Like that's that, yeah, that's the, expected. The, the real pointy end, you lock in. But I think that month leading up from Lavenir through to there was just business as usual. Verazi, a couple of nights a week. Like, yeah. Which is code for a pizza and a couple of wines. Yeah, minimum. Um. And then from that transition, so he went from world champion, under 23, to BMC. Mentally, how did that transition? Um, I remember at the, at the BMC training camp, it was no alcohol. No alcohol policy, which I thought was a little bit this hard is, and this fast. Is this pre-season? Yeah, December. A little bit too hard that'll and fast. Have, that'll help you at the welder. 
in I, 10 months' time, you'd be flying. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I thought it would yeah, a couple of wines at dinner, good bonding. But it wasn't. It was, it was yeah, an alcohol-free zone, which was interesting. Um, and then once the season kicked off, it was just the same as usual, same as under-23s. Yeah, it was never like full lockdown, out for dinner, go to the beach, just... Just normal things, Alex. Nothing groundbreaking. You would have liked the beaches there too. No sand. No sand. Pebbles. Yeah, pebble beaches. Pebble beaches are key. <laughs> Which is a treat. Just wear your shoes to the beach. Yeah. How good is that? Hate the sand. No sand. Well, that's the other part about doing things that you wouldn't do in your regime point, your team racing camp, is that you actually get to know your teammates. And when it comes to a point where it's like, oh, I need to bite the bullet here and do the work. It's a bit, it's a bit more like, a, all right, I'll do that, and I'll do a bit more, not just, just another bloke that he's all right, but I don't really rate him, and <laughs> he didn't buy me coffees the other day, kind of set up. Shoot him, mm. <laughs> get him. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to me about um, when it went downhill. What were you thinking? Well. That's that's where I think I kind of went a little bit wrong is I wanted out. I wanted to get out of it, but I didn't know what I was going to do. So it was like, our oh, beauty, I'm out. And then there was like a lot of flapping around, a lot of flapping around sort of in limbo. Like Tom said earlier, idle hands, devil, the devil's mind. Idle, of, yeah, idle hands make work for it. What is it? The devil makes work for idle hands. Yeah, something like that. So that's one thing I will do. If you are sort of 21, 22, you wanted to get out of it, pull the pin on cycling and just, oh, I want to go to the real world, have, have a plan in place and make sure you do have something that you can transition straight into. Luckily for me, I'm, I'm not a loose cannon and didn't go down bad paths, <coughs> which is, you know, which is a genuine possibility, Alex. So it's, let's not laugh and carry on too much about that, but um there was a good year there where I was clowning around, doing a lot of travel, America, Europe, Philippines with you, Alex. Which um, we love. <laughs> so that was that was a good year. And then, yeah, kind of flapped around with uni a little bit, didn't really know what I was doing. But the one the one piece of advice I would have is just make sure you do have things in place to, to transition straight into because you don't want to be in limbo for any more than a month or two, I'd say. As Tom, you you were probably yeah, straight well, into it, weren't you? Tom, what did you do? Well, like I said... You started of work halfway through your Italian season? <laughs> <Yeah>. or <laughs> Not quite, but like I said before, like I'd put these things in place well before, like five years before I stopped riding. So I knew that when it did get at that point, which it eventually did, not that I was planning on that happening, not that I wanted that to happen, but it did... Um, like I had obviously like I'd done a ride at school and then got into engineering and then when I when I finished I was like right I'm just gonna go head first into that I'm just I'm gonna get it done smash it out and then I was like back working home with dad for a few months and then like I was literally driving trucks and es- trucks and excavators like that was what I was doing with dad like just making starting to make money and I guess support myself because he said like now you stop riding like you're on your fucking own. Like, I'm not here to support you. Like, I'm not, I'm not, oh yeah, you're old enough, go and get a job. So 
I was lucky enough that the company that we were, I guess, subcontracting to got to know the people there. They put my resume forward. And I remember sitting in the interview, they're like, oh, okay, so how long are you through uni? I'm like, oh, I'm halfway through my first year. And I've got like three and a half years to go. Like, oh, well, are you happy to overload? And I'm like, well, I guess, whatever I need to do. So then for the rest of my uni, what, I got three and a half years done in two and a half. So there's was, was one semester I ticked off eight subjects in one semester and I was working 30 hours a week. And then once uni finished, which was an absolute godsend because I got my weekends back, it's just been pretty well 50 hours a week since then and I've absolutely loved it. Like, I'm tired, worn out, but there's not a second where I'm not doing something, which for me is just spot on. Heaven on earth. Yeah. Work, yeah. work, work. Which for a lot of people might sound like not a good thing but for me like like dad's always said to me he's like there's i'm not going to go to the grave with a useful bone left in my body like it's all going to be spent it's going to be <laughs> fucked right <laughs> so i guess that's the sort of household that and the same with mum like she works just as much and it's not that it's necessarily about work it's about just applying yourself and doing something and making sure that you're learning something new or doing something new so for me when I finished bike riding, I had to go do something. I wanted to do something. Not I had to, I wanted to. And then since then it's been been really good and I haven't had a point where I've questioned my decision, which is a massive relief because, Campbell, you would have probably had the same thing in Alex yourself. You stop and you're like, well, what the fuck now? Like, where the fuck do I go? What's, like, because you, unless you have that plan in place, which I was lucky that I did like I was lucky that I knew what I wanted to do a lot of people finish and a lot of my mates are the same they finish bike riding and then you go well that was me for the last five ten years what am I meant to do with myself now I am the bike rider now what am I so I guess in that respect I was lucky and it was not easy I don't think anyone else I know has done what I've done but they probably didn't know that they what they wanted to do in the first place, if that makes sense. I think you're in a very unique scenario. There's not not many blokes that come out of the sport and go, "Just let's." I assume you went to work the day after you got home. I got off. What well, I landed on the Saturday morning. Had Saturday night here. Drove back to Arad on the excavators. Five a.m. Yeah. Monday morning. I no, dead said it was Monday Monday morning. I woke up, it was a jet lag, I was up at like four, dad's like, you're coming to work with me. I slept at lunch for that first week with jet lag for half an hour, didn't eat lunch, I just slept on the ground and then worked for five months, then got a job in the city. Yeah, good on you. Um, (laughs) So, Campbell, you got back day one. Did we come back together? Um, I think... We both went on a holiday. Anyway, after that, so after the holiday... Yeah, we departed in Amsterdam after... What did you do? What, what what were you thinking? Just what what was it like? Where am I now? You well, BMC rider six months ago. Now you're here. Yeah, I, it was a lot of time just flapping around. Like it was, it was. It's good for like a month, maybe maybe two. I met Tom. You actually came down to Hobart for Christmas that year, and you're like, mate, you need to get a job. And I'm like, yeah, I probably do. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I remember, because there's a few times where I've seen you like come back. You came back mid mid year, your first year as a pro. I remember sitting here, in, I think it was Hardware Lane in Melbourne, having a coffee. And I'm like, how's it all going? And like you say, you could see the like the 
you're just going like, yeah, no, no, good, good, good. But this is where I'm this where I'm going, yeah, I completely fucking get that. Like, because obviously I'd only just been stopped riding six months at that point. Um, and then when I <laughs> came down and saw you post, I was obviously, when you were down in Tassie hanging around, I was, I was like, I think you just need to do something. Like, that's all you, you just need to do something at yeah. some point, I think. So Whatever yeah, got, it is, it yeah. doesn't matter. Got the. What were you thinking though? What, like, what was I thinking? I, I don't know. At the time, you just like you're just so. so I, I just remember I was so relieved that I wasn't a bike rider. That's the thing that I can remember clearly. I was so relieved, and I was just enjoying that moment, moments, months. It's a, it's <laughs> so a, the monkeys off the, the monkeys off the oh, back. I just yeah. feel a million dollars, like just being free from it all, which sounds very dramatic. But that's that's what I can recall, Alex, from the the immediate time after, and then because think about your situation from when you're a professional athlete to when you can do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah, that it is, it is like an ocean. Yeah, between responsibility to your current I think situation. Nathan Earl sums it up better than anyone when they talk about oh, you only got to work for four hours, you only four hour training ride. When you're a bike rider, you think about it 24-7. It never ends. Like your job, although you're doing nothing, you could be watching Netflix all afternoon. You're still thinking about walking up the stairs. You're still thinking about... Can't go for a walk to the coffee shop. This is, it. <laughs> this is how Nell described it. You can't... You think about taking the lift. You think about what you're eating. You think about what you're doing. You think about, oh, geez, have I done enough foam rolling? Like it just doesn't stop that tick, 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 even though you're doing... Absolutely nothing. Oh, dead set. It all, like, everything goes into the equation when you're about everything. Like, if whatever you eat, whatever you do, whatever you think about doing, it's all just subconsciously, you actually just start running numbers on it. You're like, will this help me? Does this help me? Do I get benefit from this? And most of the time it's no. <laughs> so you don't do it. And then that's where the fun goes out, I think. So what did you do day two? We've had day one of just your beauty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, after Tom said said I need to get a job, I did. Well, not necessarily about getting a job. I think what I was more implying was go apply yourself because yeah. you've gone from applying yourself, like what Alex is saying, 24-7 to then sitting idle. And I don't think that's good for anyone. No, it isn't. You don't have to work. Just don't sit idle. Yeah. That's the key. I was still in. I mean, I was still in maybe gear zero point five for the rest of the year. Angel, <laughs> angel gear. Campbell found angel gear and sat in it. Uh, I was doing a couple of days at the sports shop, living with a couple of boys from school. Um, so it was a real. It was actually. It was a top year actually. Twenty sixteen, absolutely top notch. Like I said before, a lot of. A lot of flabbering around, a lot of catching up with mates and things. But after that, you need you need to start getting things in place. And either was it going to be doing a trade? Was it going to be going to university? Very surprised you didn't do a trade. I, I thought Are that you? was going. Yeah, I was. Well, the, I think, the old man's one of the best builders down in Hobart. Like, yeah, he is. Hub- seen some Hub- of the work constructions in Hobart. It's a top shelf. Uh, some of the work you see, yeah, Campbell's old man. So yeah, just sitting in a premium home down on the island. Just Harbourview Constructions. Search him up on Instagram. Absolutely sensational. Some of the work that Drew's doing down in. But I think Hobart. I think Tom went out through school, through Easter and school holidays and stuff. I did like a lot of work with Dad, and I think that was probably enough to make me realise that's not what I want to do. I don't want to 
be out in the fields. So that's probably what literally drove me to yeah. doing a tertiary education, which has been probably about 18 times more of a slog than working in the fields, but still chipping away at it. But we're seeing some progress. <laughs> hey, you got to tick the boxes, though, Campbell. Yeah. So Tom did eight subjects in a semester. I think I might have done eight in a year and a half. So we're trying. Did you know what you were doing? When? Uni. Well, you're still there, but when you buckled in for the first time. Nah, nah. And that's that's the thing that, I, again, I'd recommend if you're straight out of school, even if you're just chipping away at one subject of uni, if that's what you want to do after school, just keep something. To that's, what that's what I wish. You, you, you were doing some subjects overseas. What you, you did, Alex, was, was key. That was, and that's why I, because I asked to be able to do that. They wouldn't let me do any study without having any contact hours. And that's what you did was exceptional. I like, can, if you're going to do it, yeah, that is the that, way to do it. Well, that's what they're, I think that's what they're pushing every now. Drapak, that's what Drapak they have been doing it they're from pull, two, the 2000s. They're pulling the pin, but I think what they had going the last few years was spot on. And also the Australian Cycling Academy up in Queensland got the same sort of program. We've got Zach Gilmore's up there now, and he's absolutely loving it. Adding uh, education to cycling, I think it's. Because that was great. the thing. You did enough subjects when you came back, what, you had two years left of uni? One year in the bank, yeah. Yeah, that's key. So that was good. But it, I don't think the value was in one year in the bank. The value was in... The, the skills? Or nah, not the skills. No, I didn't time. learn anything that year. No, no, no. Not, not so much. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you learn a whole lot in uni. It's, it's more the skills and the applying yourself at something rather than... I reckon the biggest value was that you had to go back to something. It was like, i got no idea what I'm doing. I've jumped shit. You can try. I can just, just, I'll just, you know what? I'll just show up to Swinburne February 28th. Or and you're doing something. You're doing something. Yeah. And it's like. You're moving in a direction. It was your year to uh, get back on the horse in a sense. Yeah. I think, because obviously this is all very much a candid conversation about, I guess, the experiences of three different people at three different levels of what they're doing post-liking, but also where they got to in the sport. But you have a look, and I think the most successful people you'll find post-cycling are like Sheila cyclists because they can't rely on one a decent wage at the end anyway because they're not getting like what your Phil Gills are or your whatever like Marion Voss might do very well out of it but your regular punter needs something to do when or, they or the st- 15th best athlete in the world well that's it for example so you have a look a lot of them are lawyers I can remember at the VIS there were there was two doctors a lawyer and a few other people studying bits and pieces, right? And just looking at like, oh, what are you doing? Like, why, why would you do that? Like, bike riding sort of thing. But it's just like, if unless you have that necessity to actually do something other than cycling, you won't do it. Mm. And a lot of people don't. They stop, get to 25, 22, 32, and go, well, what now? Mm. And I, I don't, there's not that necessity there yet from any level, I guess. There's one or two teams that might be doing it, but going like, well, hang on. Best case scenario, you're doing a who's that bloke that's riding for that random continental team? It's like 48 now. What's his name? He comes up every now and then in the podcast. But anyway, unless you're going to ride your bike until you're 48, rebel in, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> rebel in. Unless you're going to be a rebel in, right? What are you going to be doing? when it ends because I don't think anyone thinks about that and I think it's something you should do even while you're riding is be like 
and I think that's my one bit of advice to anyone, what would you do if you couldn't ride your bike tomorrow? Oh, it's a scary place to be, I reckon. Like It was lucky for us. We were pretty young. But yeah. I reckon in your late 20s, early 30s. Panic buttons. Jesus it's Christ. panic buttons. Yeah. I reckon it would be, be rank. It would be really, really bad spot. Yeah. Big time. But anyway, that's just my advice from someone who didn't make it anywhere really past the age of 22. But that's all right. No, but I think that this is us and below. They're the biggest bracket. Yeah. It's not like, oh, there's thousands of people making it. Well, I guess most people would probably stop by the time they're 22, 20. But you 23s, right? That's when you usually make the call. Yeah. yeah. That's when 50, 60% will go, right, I'm going to do something else. But well, I don't know. I guess you got three different examples of. The only, the only one that. I've heard multiple times counter this and he talked about this in his podcast I did with him this year. Simon Guerin says you need to do one thing and one thing only and do that one thing properly. That there is, is also that there is, is his opinion. That there is, is also that hard ar- and fast on that. There is also that argument. There is that. That's a, but it's not, a risky game to play. But though. the thing is not everyone is like Simon Guerin's. But you hear Davo say like Simon wasn't like the most gifted athlete, but he tried way harder than everyone else. And hundred percent, you're probably right. You're not going to have your Dale Parkers, who just come in and can do whatever they want, like Bling or whatever, whoever it is. Yeah. But not everyone. And we're not saying that Bling doesn't work hard. No, he probably definitely does. <laughs> <laughs> rumor, rumor mill. But I, I, there's a lot of merit, I guess, in that. And I'm not going to tell Simon Garrett what to fucking do or say. <laughs> Far from it. But Simon Garrett isn't ninety nine percent of people who start bike riding and then don't do it professionally yeah it's a hard and fast approach and it's easy to say when you come out the other end winning san remo and liege best on liege it's it's nice to be able to say that after you've done those things but held some to okay when the arthur seat stage wasn't running because it was too hot and windy and all the cfa trucks were somewhere else <laughs> stage cancelled <laughs> can't lose it um you two have worked with some uh, now famous athletes, some elite professionals. Caleb, Rob Power, Jack Haig, like you talked about. Your uh, younger brother, who's quite a successful Whoa, rider big now. Big talent, huh? Big talent. Um, a, trait, a trait that makes them as good as they are, that makes them... 100%, it just comes down to an attitude. They are like, I am going to win yeah. this race. That is it. Yeah. For me, looking back now, it's you can have a look at like a Rob Power who you'll spend a month in Verazi with who will still do really well because that's his attitude. He's like, I want to go and do really well. Or you have a look at Jack Haig who will do the complete, not complete opposite, but will do the regimented thing. But his attitude is, I'm going to win a race. That, for me, was always a thing that I... Never had. I was like, oh, it'd be nice. <laughs> like, it'd be good. But like, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe I can't. Maybe I can. Whatever. For them, it was just non-negotiable. They go out, they race, they win. Oh, I 100% agree. And I think Ed, Edmo, for me, is the biggest example of that. Oh, 100%. Yep. You go training with him, you're like, ah, yeah, this guy's all right. Guy's all right. Does the right things most of the time. Get to a race and just... He just turns into this animal. Switches on. Just switches on. Rob Powell is the same. He just turns into this absolute animal and just tears shreds off people. And 
their mentality to I am going to win this race no matter what. Yeah, is it's all mentality, I reckon. You're going to win with, at all costs, but also with a bucket of talent. I think I might have told. Yeah, talent is also key, but I think I might have told this story before. It must have been 2014. It was pissing rain. We went out training and we had some efforts to do, and the whole group was like, "Nah, like." not doing these efforts would swing into the coffee shop and Caleb's like, no, nah, I'm going to go do these efforts. He went out and did them by himself and came back an hour and a half later. But, you know, look where he is now, winning three uh, stages I, of the tour. My favourite Who's that, example? sorry? Caleb. Who, who, who's that? <laughs> my favourite example... <laughs> come sh- My favourite example of Caleb is uh, Flanders... When he had the opportunity, to, he, was, he was in the front group, going to the finish line. He had the opportunity to win, but he had to go down the barriers. That was the only option. <laughs> yeah. And the barriers was not an option. It was not an option. <laughs> but what did Caleb do? He went down the barriers. Yeah. Like, it was, that was, I'm going to win or I'm going to splatter myself on the barriers. The same as those, those Italian bros that are just like, if I don't win this race, I'm going to end up with all of my skin missing. And that is a fair trade-off. Yeah. It's not DNF in the last 100 metres or win. Like, and that is something that like, I never had. Like, I'll be the first <laughs> to admit, like, I don't have that killer instinct on a bike like I might in other avenues of life but it was never like why am I going to win the random trophio whatever and not be able to walk for two weeks did you what did you have that Uh, I I personally I don't think I had that I think I had the oh it'd be really good to like be a pro and work hard and get there but no I I did not in road races but in TTs I did yeah, I would agree with that. I was pretty confident. Why, why in time trials? I just know that no, like it was. You can rely on yourself in a time trial. You can trial. rely on yourself. Like There's someone, no variables. Someone has to ride harder than I am going to ride. Like, and if you if you're confident in your ability and you know what you can do, then you're like, wow, someone's going to have to ride pretty hard to to beat me. And there's no variables in TTs. It's all it's all you. You don't have to really risk your life <laughs> to win. <laughs> so. Yeah, in in time trials, I think I had that winning mentality at all costs. At all costs. At all times. Your teammates hate you, doesn't matter. Your teammates love you, doesn't matter. Any final comments, questions? No, I think we've covered a lot of of ground. It's quite a deep conversation, very candid. I think we got two, Tom and I are probably doing most of the talking. We've got two different kind of... Very two different kinds of stories on the exit, I guess you could say. Yeah, and I I was never world champ. (laughs) I reckon. For me, looking back on it, Tom came crashing down. What's this? On the exit. Yeah, bit of a... He came crashing out of the sport. I carefully tapered out of the sport. Yeah, a bit of middle ground. Um, And you got to the top and... Didn't like what he saw. Well, didn't just didn't like it. Yeah, which is completely admirable. I think because that's the hardest decision you'll ever make is going from that point where you literally change your identity as a person. That is your life. Talk talk to me about identity. Talk to me about your identity change. It's just like for me, it was growing up, not as opposed to the public eye. Right. So everyone that I know personally was always like you're the bike rider. But I guess in Campbell's instance, in the public eye. You got you're a world champion, then ten months later you don't want to touch a bike. Like what happened? So it's for me, you're just dealing with 
people you know and you just say no no yeah no not for me get fucked <laughs> but I guess Campbell for you completely different story and way harder to manage because that whole expectation then of people you don't even know with questions and scrutiny and all this other bullshit that I guess it took you probably a little while to open up to the public and write an article or do whatever you did yeah, of course. Thoughts? Did you, did you did you think about that identity? Yeah, a little bit. Because like. Tom Tom phased that perfectly. Me and him, we had to tell mum and dad and a uncle and a couple of mates. Yeah. There's a big difference between that and some punter down the street who goes, "Oh, geez, that that was that world champion. What happened to him?" Yeah, I guess so, a little bit, but not... Or did you just not think about that? No, I didn't think about it too much. Like, But like I joked about earlier, people still ask, oh, so you're still writing, mate? Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think so it, people are going to turn another page and go back. I think for at least another couple of years, you're still going to be copying those sort of questions. But yeah, I, I just I can't imagine what it's like being a pro for 10, 10 years or so and then and then pulling the court how... how deeply embedded that would be in your identity you're the cyclist that would be very hard because that is like literally like when it actually is your life and your income I think that's then a whole another level which I don't think any of us in this room would be able to comment on because fighting for a one year contract every year or jumping between teams or going like being a Colombian racing those early spring races and then next year what am I actually doing like I'm feeding mouths back home yeah that is a whole another level which it was a scary thought, really. We've got a heap of questions, which this podcast... <laughs> Moving gonna, on. <laughs> this podcast is going to go for too long if we rip through them. One of them, oh, though... Season finale. One of them, though, I think we might touch Make sure on. you're sitting down. Yeah. Put it on two times speed. Um, it's, to do with, <laughs> it's to do with cycling in the current landscape, landscape and how what we experienced when we were there and inside the bubble versus what we look back at, how we look at it now, how it's changed. I guess we all came through the the Cadell Evans era. Probably the, almost the Brass. easiest. Everything was thriving. The NRS was going bananas. We had scholarships. We had programs yeah. everywhere. There was the an NRS AI, was thriving. AIS program to aspire to. People were going pro. Bling was just turned pro. Derbo was pro. Those kind of guys. It was there. It was. I look back happening. on it now. It was set up. It was. Almost the path perfect. the path was as clear as it ever was. Yes, it was. It was almost yeah, it was not not gonna say easy, but you had the NTID, you had your state institutes, you did well there, did well in NRS, then you'd get to go to a few national team races, then you'd be AIS. The pathway was very, very clear and you could see history of that. Like I said, Durbo, it, was, it was funded, like it was it was it was there. If you wanted to do it and you had the talent you would get picked. Yeah. There was, wasn't was even really that much politics even in it. Like it was, if you won a race, you earned your spot. I mean, you and I, Alex, big talents. Big, big talents. But also, we got the smoothest <laughs> pathway that, you could ever <laughs> ask for. I'm, ju- I'm joking that. But we started 2009. Was it 2009? 2010. Anyway, three Around years. Then. Three years from riding... The Longford to Carrick, we're in, <laughs> we're in Italy. That's how quickly it happened. And the Longford. 
audio to the uh, car radio. And we had coaches, mentors, yeah, it's teams, in a, it's in a pay funding a dime. to get there. Like it was. Like I said, well, I don't think at the like like I said at the start, there was no hardship for I don't think mm, any of us. No, no genuine hardship. Not at all. It was just the the, the sport you, you didn't like, not the actual journey. But we're not, I guess, in the mixer right now. But you look at it now, and you NRS is nowhere near where it was. There's no AAS squad. That's just cut. Yeah. Um, CA only are interested in track riding. Yeah. It's if I was a 19 year old now, I'll, it's not a very. Where do you go? It's, like, it's, it's, it's not an appealing. There's no appealing kind of way forward. It's a very scary sort of avenue to be staring down now. It's like if I want to to go pro, I've got to get picked up with two or three. There's probably two or three NRS teams which you can. Go to the top, and out of those two or three, I've got to be standing out. I've got to be winning week in, week out in Australia. Then they might send me to Europe. When I get to Europe, then I've got to, I don't get a full season there. I get maybe two or three months, and I've got to make the most of those two or three months. And Best case scenario, yeah, harder harder. you spend half your season racing in China, and that is the best case scenario. Picked up with the Devo team for Mitchell and Scott, where you at least get like some. Uh, you get marketed almost in a way like your name's there or thereabouts but like it's not like you can come from racing like what you were doing to then go okay there's an NRS team that would be happy to pick me up and pay for a $10,000 bike for me to ride and give me kit and give me opportunity and fly me to Toowoomba to do a race up you know what I mean like Mm. it doesn't seem like there's that, that path is just basically, I think, just in the last five years is gone off the face of the planet. Yeah. I mean, there's still that option of going amateur, like Nick Schultz did, Jai Hindley. I mean, there's still that option, but that's um that's for the, yeah, the brave men and probably the probably the, the most commendable yeah. way of doing it. And if you it. make it through that, you're going to be right. You learn a language, you're yep. more than... You're set. Yeah, more than the way there. Campbell, you were the only one that made the pro peloton, so... Lachlan Thompson asks, how much performance difference is there between the bicycle brands and the pro peloton? Quite a topical <laughs> one after. How much How much is your bike weigh? Uh, look, I'm probably the worst person to ask when it comes to Could equipment. I but I imagine I imagine there's, uh, well, just go and ask Rowan Dennis. He'll be able to tell you. Brand- <laughs> <laughs> Oh my days, yes. Brendan Thornton, I'm going to answer this. Sam Bennett to quick step any predictions. I predict that he's going to crush it. He's going to tear shreds off the peloton next year with that quick step culture and structure around him. He's going to be very good. Yep. I think we saw Viviani. He go, he went there, he tore it up. Kittle season there, shredded it. And the same thing, I reckon Viviani's going to go downhill. Yeah, so you heard it here first. Long, this is pretty good too. Um, from Jord on Insta, long range Eddie bets for the road nationals next year. What the footballer? Sorry, a long range Eddie bets for the road nats, as in a punt, a bet. Oh, <laughs> road nats. Yeah. Um, the old uh, Rodney Hunt. <laughs> <laughs> where are we where are we putting the punt? Oh dear! Well, it's it's 
Lucas, how's he looking? Yeah, good. I'll see him at Christmas. I'll tell you more then. Chris Harper and his new colours, first year pro. A lot of motivation there. What a, well, is there less motivation now that he's got his contract? It's More a long, motivation. It's a long season. He loves he's that he, race. He's got his bride to train with over summer. Yeah, there's no Alex Edmondson. Is he moving to Manchester to go they train? Be, they could be mo- both moving to Manchester. Tim Hancock on the Insta. Should the national champs be rotated? Different states, courses. Nah. I think Ballarat I really have done like a it. superb job the last 10 years. I think it's a course for everyone too. People say hey, it's not- Caleb could win there. Well, I, I, he I has won. He's he's won there in under twenty three. Like I use this as an example. Matt Goss has got round before. He's finished second there before. So if you're a sprinter and you're in good nick, you can get round. It's not a it's not a mountain. Yes, it's hard. But if you if you're serious about your chances, you can. Maybe get should ask Matt Goss what the transition was like from winning Milan San Remo to <laughs> driving Ferrari to then. He'd be a good. No, what he does he'd, now actually be a good be question to ask. Sensational to get on. <clears throat> we get him. Um, no holes barred at the star bar. Over summer. Yeah. When we do that trip down to um, Lonnie in Feb. Andrew on Insta, how much condition do the riders lose on the off season? A bit. Well, my off season's been then. going now for four and a half years. <laughs> and it's it's I've lost a lot. Gained a lot, but lost a lot of form. <laughs> Rob Power, is he asking a leading question here? Who's to watch out for at TDU this year? Spoken a bit about him tonight, haven't we? Himself. I think we'll have to wait till after after nationals to get a real good gauge on that. But I think your normal suspects, L Hamilton, Darrell Olympi, I think would be the ones to look Some out for. Some random Belgian who's just spent half the year trudging through snow. Jamie on the instart, Rowan's next uh, movements next year. No, that's radio silence, isn't it? It's been radio silence, hasn't it? I don't mind it. I don't mind that he's I've just keeping the, keeping the punches. He's going, he's going to case to pun. <laughs> Jared Drizzen is heading to Axion next year. That's not a bad gig. But yeah. that's what we we're talking about. Like he's the ducks. Ducks nuts. nuts. He, he crushed is, the NRS. Yeah, he's he's a big rider. Who's this? Rider. Jared Drizzen is leading the NRS. It's um, top top rider. That's good guy. Yeah, made it well, to it to that, out of the but world. He's made it to Axion. There's another big step from making it to Axion to the world. But do you know what? He had big huevos because he was in. <laughs> <laughs> he was. He was <laughs> Keep going. That's good. He was in the um, the podium potential track program with CA, obviously, and then he was also riding road with Inform, and then flicked the track. Told them, no, nope, don't want to be on the track anymore. I'm going to go full time on the road. GFU. So he he backed himself in, and then it's Which paid love. paid dividends. So he's going he to a, on a the big podcast? team. I'd love to get him on the pod. Drizzy. Yeah. Um, if road. Oh, another question about road nationals moving from Ballarat. Where would you move them to? All right. I can Hobart would do a superb nationals. Hobart would do a good good uh, road. Wally up and down. Yeah, I reckon up Strickland down Hewan Road. Little lap around there. Finish at the brewery. <laughs> Don't know if you want yeah. to talk about this one, Cambo, but how did Campbell's crash happen at TDU from Pumpstagram? Um, post stage two, stiff. riding back from Sterling, hooking so, down Old Mount Barker. So Road. stiff, so stiff. Doing about <laughs> doing about eighty in a thirty zone. 
on this left-hander and just washed out, snapped oh, me collarbone. That was it. Straight to the cleaners. Yep. End of the line. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thomas, uh, I think the men's Aussie team pursuit are definitely worth an interview post-Manchester World Titles. Um, yeah, well, they are. Get them on. <laughs> get them all on. We had Wellsford on. Uh, Can we get for Ganner on? That Ganner bloke on? The one that did a 402 yeah. or whatever? Do you know him? That did a TP time by himself? That's outrageously quick. <laughs> Do I know him? Yeah. Can nah. you tee it up? No, nah, but I speak Italian, so I can, I can be a correspondent over there if you want to fly me over. Um. Matt Ken on the Insta, how has your perspective changed from when you were racing to now? Well, I think we've probably we've discussed a lot of that. We've covered a lot of ground on that, I think. Probably an hour's worth of ground. <laughs> Ten minutes of actual content that you need to listen to. <laughs> uh, what do you take outs from that? Uh, good question. Take home message. Yes, on the Insta after Campbell Suffest training program, are you pinning one on at the Hawthorne crits? Absolutely not. I see how quick... There you go around that last corner and yeah. there's no way I'm shaping up to just go clutch my knee on the just ground. Just clutch your collarbone every time you see him go around yes. that bottom corner. Uh, Lachlan Crowder. Is that one of your... It's my cousin. Six cousins. Yeah. Chubsy. 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 Yeah, Chubsy. You'll be loving this. Great man, Chubsy. He yeah. wants to know the best budget beginner bike for a bloke whose <laughs> last bike had training wheels on it. Oh, he's a big doc. I reckon he Surely. could he could flush out the cash. No Smart problem. man, very clever man. Yeah, he is going to be running the Hobart Hospital in about ten years' time. I reckon. Hopefully Him so. Westy. Him and Westy. So when we when we cook it up down at Falls, we've got, we've got safe hands to <laughs> to take us into the hospital. Um, so we didn't answer your question at all. Sorry, Chubs. So yeah, well, have you got a recommendation for him? Mm, couldn't tell you. Well, get us a sponsor and we'll recommend that. <laughs> <laughs> Best bike out there. I'm not, I'm not sure. Fair, if it, he can probably just reach out to you directly. I'm um, not sure if you saw. On, on, <laughs> is that a text message or a, on the? <laughs> is that a direct message? Not to the <laughs> on the draft on the draft night. There was Dylan Buckley who runs a podcast. He was kind of like taking the piss with some questions. Yeah, and he was asking one of the Adelaide. Um, Draftees. He was like, oh, so what are you going to do with your money? He's like, oh, no, I'm probably going to buy a car. And he's like, oh, what car are you going to get? And he's like, oh, I don't really know. And Dill Buckley goes, oh, maybe a Toyota, looking at his polo. And he's like, yeah, yeah, Toyota. <laughs> <laughs> get a cruiser. Yeah, got to get the sponsors on. Um, <laughs> That's good. Oh, that's actually really good, isn't it? Justin, see, I see the track. Just in case. Justin K, no, Justin 001, actually. I see uh. the track mob, particularly in Adelaide. I see Wellsford O'Brien racing the Warney. Then there's the NRS. How effectively do you see these pathways to the World Tour? What are the gaps? How would you improve it? Oof, big, That's big a, questions. Geez, we need to lock in for another podcast. On a Wednesday night. One. We, we've talked about the challenges and how it is changed. Well, I guess at the tail end of that conversation, I think that's exactly what we spoke about is what it was to what it is now. Mm. It's not clear cut at all. No. Um, how would you improve it? I think there was so much value in that under-23 program, not because of the people that got there, but the people that aspire to get there. I think that is... It gives you something to go for. Well, yeah. Just what do you go for now? What do you aim when for? When we were talking... Just talking before about that program, how we could, we, you and I could see Durbo and Happy all going through the program. And then when I was with the Inform boys at Gippsland a couple of months ago, Jared Drisners was talking about us. He's like, oh, yeah, like I saw you guys. You guys were the, the ones that I wanted to be like. I'm like, well, that was a couple of years ago now. Who did the kids that are, that are 16 and 17, who do they want to be? Who was their AIS <coughs> people to look towards? And 
I think you're right. That's that's probably the biggest thing that's going to be missing from that program is there is no one to to look towards and see a pathway. Stuart Rowe on the uh, Facebook. We've already talked about Rowan. Uh, be good to be know a bit about Durbo and what he's going for in 2020. Who's sprinting at Mitchelton Scott now that Mateo's off? Lucas. Lucas. <laughs> Still got Mez, Luca Mezgech yeah. there. Part-time sprinter. Part-time sprinter. is Alex Edmo. He's probably Albert Sini's still there, no? <laughs> He's 90 now, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter, though. Still gets over. He's good for a couple of wins a year. He's good That's for a Tour of Swiss, like yeah, part-time bunch kick. Like three 50, stages at Tour of Swiss. 50 going to the finish line. He's good there. I, I don't think it's a problem not having a sprinter. There's nothing wrong with not having an out-and-out sprinter. They've got a heap of climbers. <laughs> yeah. They've got a heap of climbers. They're outdated. <laughs> yeah. No one wants a sprinter anymore. They're too hard work. Yeah. <laughs> um, Janine Pearson, what's the go with the Tour de California? Ripped. Ripped clean out of the ground. Cancelled. Cancelled culture. I think when something gets cancelled like that, it's pretty hard yeah, for it to they come love, back. They love the... Um, we're taking a year yeah, out. taking a year out. Brackets never coming back. Yeah. So, CC, that is CC Eternity. How is Caleb going? Have you talked to him? Not really. Been doing a lot of first class flying around the world. I think I've seen. I think I think he's coming off a massive year. Yeah. I think that's what he's coming and, off. And, and he's a got a kid. Got a young kid. Flying around with a kid and a wife. Dad. Yeah. Big year though, big tick. So he massive can massive tick. He can enjoy his time off. Um, what's in store for the SSS next year from uh, Jethro, the uh, most consistent? I reckon I'm gonna give him the <laughs> Does award. Does he get an award this year? Surely. He's got an award for the most consistent question. Pumpstagram's always around the yeah, park too. Yeah, there's a few unlucky ones. Yeah, but they're in the uh, squad. Yeah. <laughs> they get a jersey, an honourable mention. Um, Maybe that'd be a nice thing to do, Alex. SSS next Not year. Well, <laughs> you send him some jerseys. That's all up for all up for discussion after this podcast. But, uh, after we reflect on the year, the Friday retro on the entire year. Yep. we'll be um, we'll definitely be around the mark though over summer. And I, th- I think that's the wrap. That's the wrap. We uh, we've been brought to you by Map since uh, episode one of season one of. I think it was with Adam Phelan. Yeah, he recorded this. I actually recorded about sixteen practice episodes with Lucas Hamilton in the uh, the social club headquarters, but uh, never published one of them. So thanks to Lucas, he was a, potentially it was the attempt to be episode one. Subfest, they've been on board with you, Campbell, this yeah. year. They got you in some Super. kind of condition. I'm in great shape. Um, you are in good nick at the minute. Thank you. And also... Harper, two A's. They have outgrown the big three. They've outgrown the big one. They now run the world. <laughs> Harper. <laughs> what if you want to get in contact with Harper? Dan at harper.com. From memory, now nah, yeah, that's it. that's it. If it that's bounces one. back, try dot au. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, thanks, Tommy. Thanks, Campbell. Thanks, thanks Alex. Year. We'll see you over the summer. Um, Roger, we'll Roger that. that.